0: Morning, church. If you got your Bibles, please open them to Mark chapter two. Gospel of Mark Chapter Two. Before we get started this morning, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, a lot of great things going on here at our church, family, and uh, at the center of all of that is what Philip mentioned a few moments ago is a son who was willing to do anything to show us that we are loved thank you uh, we're not the only church not the only gathering not the only ecclesia who is come together on this day to say that to you uh, i want to remember the house of prayer and uh, those folks that are meeting there to lift up your your name in song to preach your word uh, to break bread together and to try as best as they can be to be disciples for you in this community uh, we join them and all the other disciples here who are endeavoring to be followers of your son. Please knit our hearts together to do more projects and more things in which we can be blessed by the teamwork, but also be a witness for our community that uh, it mattered you sent your son and that um, uh, the unity that we experience they can be a part of too. In Christ's name, we praise you and everyone's said, I want to start off with a question. When was the last time that you needed rescuing in a very, very serious way? For those of you visiting, we are in the second of our series on that I'm calling Search and Rescue, uh, and it's about that, but it wasn't but a couple of weeks ago that I truly was in a very, very serious situation and needed some rescuing. Um, I was facilitating the Buddy Weber funeral, and I had falsely assumed that there would be a funeral coordinator That would be a part of that, and uh, about 20 minutes before the funeral was to start, I was informed there was not going to be, and so I was rushing around doing some things that normally a funeral coordinator would do, along with some of the last-minute things that I had to do, and so, to put it mildly, I was a little bit frazzled and a little bit overwhelmed. The funeral chapel was where we held the funeral, not here in the big auditorium, but in the chapel, which is a beautiful place to have a funeral, but it doesn't have a sound system to play music through. Now, I knew that ahead of time, and I asked Renee if the kids' ministry had a boom box that I could use, because I knew I could play that through the boom box, and it would be adequate enough for that small space, and sure enough, she said, we had one, you're free to use that, and I found it in those moments when I found out that there wasn't a funeral director here, and trying to get his stuff done and my stuff done, and uh, I, for the first time, was trying to get it plugged in and going, and I had some trouble, and um, I took a picture of it because here's what I tried to do. I tried to open the thing and sure enough it opened but it was stuck and I could see the VeggieTale CD inside and I thought that probably isn't going to be good funeral music. <laughs> so I um, shot Renee a picture of uh, the CD player and I said I'm having trouble with this and she sent a text back and said well did you press on the cover and I said yes I did and uh, it, it's only coming up a, a part way and she said well that's kind of strange and I um, so I started to get a pencil to get the, uh, the CD out of it, to put the one inside there. And then I got her last text that said, why don't you put the handle down? <laughs> That's why my wife is the engineer in our home. Now, I can share that story with you because I realize that in every one of your lives, There is some area, mine's engineering, I just don't see certain things at a certain time, especially under stress, and I didn't see that that day, and I felt like a fool whenever I put that handle down and it popped up. But you have something like that in your life that you need rescuing from. As a matter of fact, some of you walked in here this morning, and there's some areas of your life that are much more serious than um, my engineering paralysis. Some of you walked in here this morning because you need rescuing from a rage that wells up within you and it causes you to to be borderline abusive with the things that you say and sometimes the things that you do with your kids, maybe even your spouse. Some of us need rescuing from making just one more poor financial decision that just keeps you forever in the stress of debt and feel like you're ever going to get out. Some of us need rescuing from an addiction that has had you in its grips so long you can't remember when you didn't have it. And you're at a point now you don't believe you'll ever be free from that. Some of us have wounds from our past that we hope that we can forgive and let go of, get over. But it just seems like one more day has come, one more week has come, and you're not able to, to let go of them, and they're certainly not letting go of you. For others of you, there are situations that have seemingly come raining in in your life, outside of your control, never saw them coming. Physically, financially, relationally, spiritually, you're not quite sure how in the world you're going to get out. From a thousand different angles, we can find ourselves in a desperate place and in need of being rescued. And I just want to say this morning in as clear a way as I can, that is why Jesus came. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus himself says the Son of Man came to search and to rescue, to seek and to save that which is lost. Priority one for the Son of Man, in his own words, was seeking and saving that which needed rescuing. Now, no one in the Weber funeral knew that there, the minister outside was in in trouble, struggling to get something done for the services there. But I take great stock and great great comfort in the fact that God did. And he, He sent someone to my rescue, a member of my spiritual family, to help me out of a jam. And very often, He wants to do that for you. But even as much often, He wants to use you to do that for someone else. And that's really the core of the message this morning. Because no one, I repeat, no one gets to Christ on their own. Everybody gets here with help. Whether you're aware of it or not, it's hard for me to believe, but this July marks the 50th anniversary of one of the most significant moments in the history of mankind. Most of you were alive and remember seeing the pictures of Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon. But you may not know of a lady by the name of Catherine Famesh. She wrote a book entitled Team Moon, which chronicles how many supporters it took to help Mr. Armstrong get there. Over 17,000 engineers and mechanics worked just on the spaceship. Over 500 seamstresses worked on the spacesuit alone. She researched for months on end and came to the conclusion that if you put together all the men and women who had even the smallest of roles in Apollo 11, the number comes close to 400,000 people. That number stunned me. didn't surprise me, but it stunned me. No one gets to some place of significance without someone's help. Always. Getting to the moon or getting to a relationship with the living Christ, it doesn't matter. No one gets to Christ by themselves. And sometimes, people have to carry you there. I doubt if there's any other incident in the Lord's life that demonstrates that point than the one found in Mark chapter 2. Where Mark writes, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Some of you may be thinking, well, I thought Nazareth was his home. Well, that's where he was born and that's where he was raised, but Capernaum was his adult home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, even outside the door. But Jesus preached the word to them anyway. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four others. And since they could not get in to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man that was on a mat. To him. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And before you yea, God too quickly, there were some teachers there. And they were thinking to themselves, Why in the world does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And that's exactly what he did. He got up, took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. I love that story, and I hope it speaks this morning why we need you to be a part of a search and rescue team. Here's three reasons. Number one, everybody needs friends who believe in Jesus. Everybody. Now, Capernaum was a small town, and many of you grew up in small towns. And so you know the truth. Everybody knows everybody in a small town. So when Jesus begins to make a headline or two in that small town, he comes back home to do a little preaching. And because everybody wants to be around the, the hottest rabbi now on the circuit, they've gathered in this house to hear him preach, and the place is packed. But... There is a nobody who is missing from the house. And it's not because they don't know about him, because again, everybody knows everybody in a small town. So why wasn't he there? Was it a problem that the house was too crowded? Or that the man simply wasn't wanted? I think it was probably the latter. Otherwise they would have made room for him. You do that. When you see someone come in in a wheelchair or in a walker, you, you do what you can to to make room and facilitate where they're trying to go. Why didn't they do that for him? Because most likely, with the latest, hottest rabbi on the scene, they didn't want him around him. You see, in Jesus' day, your physical condition reflected God's opinion of you. So his paralysis was viewed by the town as God's judgment on him. So it's natural for the crowd to assume that this celebrity-level rabbi isn't going to give this guy the time of day. But they hadn't discovered yet that Jesus is the friend to sinners. Now the good news is this guy's got some friends other than Jesus. And not just friends, I'm telling you, determined friends. (laughs) Friends who will not be deterred. Uh, They can see that there's no room in this house, but they are not about to be stopped. And the reason is simple. Four of a kind beats a full house. Now some of you will get that or appreciate that a little bit later at lunch. (laughs) Maybe never. Even if that doesn't hit your heart, the truth of it is, these guys realize with that man in there... Something has got to happen for us to get our guy in there. That when Jesus is in the house, it's a different house. Things happen in that place. And church, I think it's important for us to get a hold of in our hearts because you're bringing your friends to Christ, not necessarily to a building, but into Christ by, by loving them, talking to them, sharing, whatever it is to hopefully draw them into Christ is an expression that he's essential, not just to your life, but theirs. He's not an option. He's a very real need. That was brought home to me by a story from Bill McCartney. Some of you may recognize the man as a very successful coach who coached the Colorado Buffaloes in the 80s and the 90s, won a national championship. But while he was coaching, he came to faith in Christ. And his priorities shifted. And so he brought in a speaker from a national ministry to talk to his football team before the game one Saturday. And he tells us that the guy walks in and he was talking about the need to work hard, the need to sacrifice, the need to focus on the goal, and that we can win the game if we do all that. And the guy sat down and he turned to coach and said, Bill, what do you think? And Bill said, seems like all you care about is that these boys win a football game. All I care about is that they meet Jesus. Maybe we should switch places. It wasn't long after that when Ben... Bill quit coaching to go into ministry and helps launch a little ministry called Promise Keepers that probably many men in this room were impacted and touched by. Every last one of us needs friends who believe in Jesus. Even after you give your life to Christ. One of the reasons why we promote and encourage you to be a part of a life group which today is our life group day, the first and third Sundays of every month. But, but we mean life group that's bigger than just those groups that meet on these days. Any group that moves you from the rows that we're sitting in now into circles that you can do life with, whether it be a men's Bible study or a men's lunch group, but just a group of guys or, or gals or maybe a combination of both that walk through life with you because something's coming if it hasn't already come. That is going to try to drive a wedge between you and Christ. So you're going to need them to hang on to Christ. And so you're going to need folks surrounding you whose faith will help support yours. And This is where our nameless fell on the mat was. He was paralyzed and on a mat and he couldn't move, but he had some friends and they see this packed house and determine nothing's going to stand between us and getting our friend to Christ and good on them. Because they make the point, number two, no one is blessed by a dormant faith. Nobody. True faith is visible. True faith is observable. uh, Jesus' brother James, he's put it this way. He said, you know, faith without works, let me just tell you what it is. It's dead. Worthless. Valueless. These friends illustrate a truth that you're not going to find in the Bible, and that is that you sit by faith. won't find that in the Scriptures. You walk by faith. Because what gives faith legs, what is evidenced by and what's pursued by in your life lets the world know what you really care about. <laughs> so these four friends get together, and I wish I could have been there to overhear the conversation. I think you probably would have too. And one of them gives them, guys, we're going to have to think out of the box here. We're going to have to do something unconventional here. We have to get a little crazy here. And don't you know a smile broke out on one of their faces when when maybe they laughed and said, (laughs) I got an idea. And all of a sudden they're hauling their buddy up on the roof, and all of a sudden someone's clearing a hole in that roof, and all of a sudden they're dropping their buddy down through the roof, and they're placing him right before Jesus. That's thinking outside the box. And you got to believe these guys knew they are taking a chance doing this. (laughs) They may not be appreciated for doing this. They may get criticized for doing this. They don't even know what the rabbi is going to say for them doing this. But faith risks being misunderstood. Faith incurs expense. Faith takes chances. Or don't call it faith, church. Don't. One of my favorite authors, Donald Miller, tells of a friend... His name is Jason. Jason found pot hidden in his 13-year-old's closet. It's his daughter, his daughter Rachel, she was dating a guy who smelled like smoke and who answered questions with single-word sentences like, "Yeah." "No." Nah. His favorite was, "Why?" I need to have my daughter home by 10 tonight. Why? Jason figured out that it was this guy who was responsible for his daughter experimenting with drugs. And so, Donald asked him, What are you thinking about doing? Grounding her? Jason said, No, we tried that. It's only gotten worse. Then Don said something that caught his attention It says, It sounds like your daughter's living a terrible story. Any great story has a character who wants something and has to overcome conflict in order to get it. As I see it, her boyfriend is the story. So help her get a new main character. Help her find something else worth overcoming conflict for in order to possess it. He said, we went on to talk about great books and movies that followed that theme and how many of those had their greatest impact on us. Donald said he really didn't think much of the conversation until he bumped into his friend Jason a couple of months later. He said, how's your daughter doing? Jason said, much better. Donald said, well, why? He said, because our family's living a better story. He explained. said, Don, the night that we talked, I couldn't sleep. I thought about what you said about story and how so many stories hinge on a main character having to overcome conflict in order to pursue something they really want. And I realized that my daughter was living in a story and in a role that I had little to do with. I realized I needed to provide a better role for my daughter. That I hadn't mapped out a story for my family. And so my daughter had chosen another story. A story she wanted even if she was the one being used in it. In the absence of a better family story. She had chosen a story where there was risk. And where there was adventure. And rebellion. And independence. She's not a bad girl done. She was just choosing the best story that was available to her. And so, Jason said, I stopped yelling at her. And instead, I created a better story to invite her into. I started researching some stuff on the Internet. Jason said, I came across an organization that builds orphanages around the world. And it sounded to me like a pretty good ambition. Something maybe my family could try to do together. It sounded like a much better story than the one we were writing. And so I called the organization. They said it takes about $25,000 to build one. Well, the truth was we didn't have that kind of money. And so I took out a second mortgage on our house. Then I went home and I called the family meeting and I told them about this village in Mexico that needed an orphanage and all these terrible things that could happen if these kids didn't get an orphanage. And then I told my family, we're going to build one. Don said, you're kidding me. (laughs) Jason said, not at all. More on that story in just a few minutes. Whether it's a dad trying to find a better story for his little girl or four friends trying to find a better story for their paralyzed friend, here's the takeaway. Faith takes risks to help a friend write a better story. There's no such thing as a dormant faith. Faith takes risks to help a friend write a better story. Now, these four guys were into doing just that. They were taking action in spite of the barriers. They were taking action in spite of all the the obstacles and the hurdles. And that's what gives their faith credibility. And that's what will give your faith credibility. And I know sometimes that sounds crazy. Crazy. But you know what? Creativity in the search and rescue business, that's good crazy. It's good crazy. And we need more of it. The very next story in line in Mark chapter 2 for how, G- how he's telling the story of Jesus. He's telling about how Levi came to join their group. Jesus said to Levi, follow me. And the first thing Levi thinks of, i get—I got to get this guy to my friends. And so he comes up with an idea If there's one thing my friends like, it's a great party. And so he throws one. And he says to Jesus, I want you to come to my party. But he says, Jesus, my friends are rough now. You're going to hear some language that you don't use. And some women are going to be dressed in ways your mama wouldn't approve of. But they're my friends. And I really, really want them to hang out with you. Will you come? And the friend of sinners said, you bet. Count me in. Because the friend of sinners is never too busy to make a new friend. To get them close to God. Where does that leave you? I'm asking you specifically in this series to consider again, because maybe we really haven't considered it in a while. Are you in the search and rescue business that your Savior is in? Is that what's on your heart? Is that helping to lead the story your family is writing? Would you be capable of a label called the Search and Rescue Team? Because that's what I'm calling every single one of us to be a part of. Because I can't call you to less than that. That was our Savior and Lord's mission. To seek and save the lost. Because He knows better than anybody, your friends need you to help find them. Which brings us to point number three. Anybody can receive the greatest miracle of all. Chances are you probably have some folks that you may have given up on. Even in the closest of circles to you. They could be even in your own family. But this story helps us us be reminded anybody can receive the greatest miracle of all. Here's this man that's lying on the ground. (laughs) And his friends are putting a hole in a roof. And they're dropping him down in front of this rabbi. And everybody's holding their breath. What in the world is this guy going to say about this? Is he going to say, why are you interrupting my sermon here? Is he going to say, who's paying for this? not say any of that. What he says is, his son, your sins are forgiven. That is not what his friends wanted to hear. <laughs> I can promise you. What they wanted to hear was, son, your legs are well. If you had a child in a terrible car accident and you rush them to the ER and it's life or death and you're frantically waiting to, to hear what the doctor has to say about their condition and he comes out and you say, is my child going to make it? And the doctor says, I have no clue, but God loves you and has a plan for your life. Have a good day. That's not what you hear. And it wasn't what they wanted to hear. Then why in the world would Jesus interject into this moment the idea of forgiveness? No wonder they say, "What is he talking about? He's blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins." That's what the religious leaders were thinking, anyways. And you got to give it to them for once they're right. For all the dumb and wrong things they either think or say to Jesus, for once they have it right, who in the world can forgive sins but God alone? No one. So what's going on? Simply this. Jesus knew the miracle this man sought was not the greatest miracle this man needed. Jesus wants to put the man on his feet, yes. But before he does, Jesus is going to put the man right with God because that's most important. This man was paralyzed. But by more than just his legs not working, He was paralyzed because there was sin in his life that hadn't been taken care of, and he and God weren't working. That's what Philip was trying to say a few moments ago, that God cared about the mess we got ourselves into? Yes. So much so that he would send His Son into the world and that anyone who would believe in Him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. He cares that much that He would allow Him to sacrifice His life on a cross so that you wouldn't have to. As a matter of fact, that's the only way that any of us can have that relationship healed. is because the one who had no sin became sin. Or as Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 says, the one who was a curse who had no curse on his life, became a curse for us so that we could be healed. Hmm. I know, Mary, you're wondering where in the world I am for the moment, so just let me just freewheel from here, okay? Find a, a blank slide, and we'll go, we'll go home from there. That's not what these friends wanted to hear. was to talk about some spiritual concept of, of forgiveness of sins. They wanted their, their buddy to go home walking. Jesus is going to do something inside this man that will enable him not just to walk, but to live forever. And that's what he wants to do in you. And Peter says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, You know about Jesus from Nazareth. God made him the Messiah by giving him the Holy Spirit and power. Jesus went everywhere doing good for people because he healed those who were ruled by the devil. God showing that he was with him. The sickness that this man was experiencing wasn't necessarily caused because he had sinned. No, that sin uh, event had taken place long before he had ever been guilty of a, his own rebellion in his life. Sent it into the world when Adam and Eve thought they made a better sovereign than, than God did. And that decay and that bondage and that corruption and the death and the physical mess that we find ourselves in sometimes came into our world because of something God never intended for to be here. sin And I'm grateful that I serve a God who will deal with what I need more than what I want. Now, he's going to give him both, as we're going to see in a few moments, because you know the story already. But this gift of of forgiveness opens up a door of healing that takes care of everything in this man's life. But it was suffering that led him here. And you've seen the reality of that in our lives. That sometimes the only way that people will look to Christ or even get to Christ is because of huge suffering that takes place. Well, that's all right. Because Jesus suffered so that we could get to his place. He did it before he ever asks us to. But the reality of it is scenario is we get so involved in our things, in our stuff, in our wants, and our desires, it takes sometimes suffering to shut everything down and for us to focus on what we really need, and that is what's a part of our mission A relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's what he tries to give this man on the day that his buddies drop him into the middle of his sermon. In verse 5, they let the guy down through the roof, and he's there in front of Jesus, and you expect Jesus to say, Because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. That's not what he says. Next slide, here's what he does say. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, take up your mat and walk and go home. Now that's not what any of us expects. When Jesus saw their faith, when he saw the faith of their friends, this man then receives a blessing. That tells me that I should never underestimate the reach of my faith. Ever. The importance of my faith. But the scripture underscores that Sarah had a hard time in the Old Testament ever believing the promise that she was going to have a baby. God didn't make the promise to her, He made it to Abraham, which is why the entire Hagar story happens. But Abraham walks out of his tent one night and he looks up at the stars and he believes God, and soon she was pregnant. The nation of Israel is terrified. The Egyptian army is chasing them with the Red Sea in front of them. And Moses Moses says, be silent. Watch what God's about to do for all of us. And Moses believed. And an entire nation of Israel was delivered. Then later, you've got Israel's army standing on a ridgetop, looking down into a valley, trembling with fear. But young David walks down and says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who would dare defy the armies of the living God? And because David believed... An entire army experiences the victory. Don't ever underestimate, friend, the reach of your faith. It's easy to do. But here's why that matters. It matters because someone is needing you to actively believe for them for the moment. And God honors that. Jason's daughter did. Let me get you back where we were a a few moments ago. Jason said, I went home and called a family meeting. I lift this out a few moments, but I didn't tell my wife first, which it turns out was a mistake. I told them about this village and about the orphanage in Mexico and all these terrible things that could happen if the kids didn't get their orphanage. And then I told them that we had agreed to build it. Don said, you're kidding me. No, I'm not. My wife sat there looking at me, he goes on to say, like I had lost my mind. And my daughter, her eyes were as big as melons, and she wasn't happy. She knew this would mean she'd have to give up her allowance and who knows what else. They just both sat there in silence, and the longer they sat there, the more I wondered if I had lost my mind too. Don writes, I actually think you may have lost your mind, friend. Well, maybe so, Jason said. But he looked away with a smile, and then he looked back to me and said, But you know what, Don? It's working out better than I ever could have imagined. He went on to explain that his wife and daughter went back to their separate rooms that night. Neither of them talked to him. And his wife rightly was upset because he hadn't mentioned anything to her. But that night while they were laying in bed, he explained the whole story thing about how they weren't taking risks and how they weren't helping anybody and how their daughter was losing interest in writing a terrible story on her own. And they needed to help her write a better one. The next day, he said, Annie came to me while I was doing the dishes. And Don writes, he had to collect his words at this point. He said, Don, things have been tense between me and Annie for a while. I haven't told you everything. But my wife came to me and she put her arms around me and she leaned her face into the back of my neck and she told me she was proud of me. You're kidding, Don. (laughs) No, I'm not. Don, I haven't heard Annie say anything like that to me in years. I told her I was sorry that I didn't talk to her about it and she said, no, no, I forgive you for that. Besides, we got an orphanage to build and I'm sure we're going to make more mistakes than that. My friend smiled as he remembered his words. And then he finished with this. Then Rachel came into our bedroom a couple of nights later. And she asked, when can we go to Mexico? And Annie and I just sort of looked at her and didn't know what to say. And so then Rachel crawled in between us like she did when she was a little girl. And she said that she could talk about the orphanage on her website. And maybe some people could help. Maybe she could take some pictures and post them. She said, I want to go to Mexico to meet the kids and take pictures for the web. I said, that's incredible. You know what else, man, Jason said? She broke up with her boyfriend last week, Don. She had his picture of him on her dresser and took it down and told me he said she was too fat. Can you believe that, Don? What a jerk. Don said, what a jerk. And then he finished with this. But that's done now. No girl who plays the role of a hero dates a guy who uses her. She knows who she is. She just forgot for a little while. The stuff that Satan throws at us can make us forget who we are for a little while, can't it? Even stuff that maybe you you can't really even label Satan. It's just life. God would like to remind you this morning. First of all, He's here to help rescue. He really is. To deliver you from whatever you're struggling with at this moment, to, to surround you with a family who reminds you who you are and help you begin to live a better story than you've been living. They call that the church. It's God's search and rescue team. And He's asking you to be a part of it because there are folks, look around here at all the empty seats. Every one of those represents somebody that you know in this room who needs to be here, and the only way they will be is if a friend has enough faith for them to be here. May God help us be his best research, his search and rescue team. Father in heaven, we come this morning, and we're grateful that you have sent someone into our lives. We didn't get here by ourselves and we're asking you to stir within us the memory of who you sent to rescue us. We, we talked about that a couple of weeks back. But this morning, who is it that needs to lead the list of our search and rescue team? Who, Father, could, could we have an impact on? Who could we have an influence on that's, that doesn't have a relationship with you that, but, but, but could because of our faith, because of our love, because of our action in their lives? Father, we lift up that person to you right now, and we ask in Jesus' name, will you help us get them to you some way, somehow? Will you use us, our weaknesses, our talents? Our, we don't care. Use us to get them there. For we ask us humbly in Jesus' name, and everyone said. This morning, you want to make the decision on your own. That you want to be a part of this search and rescue team. You want to be a part of this forgiveness we've talked about. Be a part of this Holy Spirit that comes and enables you to live the life God's always planned for you. I'm going to be right down here in front. Please come talk to me. And if one of our elders can wrap their arms around you and pray over you, you want to do while I go but you just didn't quite get there in time, let us do that. With whatever is going on in your life, we want to be a part of that team that helps you walk through it. Let's stand, church. Let's stand.